Hello, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Musset. Yes, it is. And uh, we are, uh, the semester is going it is. here and up in Boulder, and it's been like weirdly warm and nice. It's like, it's like this tease of spring. Yeah, Until it is. today, and now we're frozen. What? It was nice today, wasn't it? Have you been outside? No. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous! This is why we shouldn't talk about the weather when we open the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We're not. Are we one of those podcasts that talk about the weather? Oh man, I. Mm. We, it just happened. It's okay. It's okay. You know. Okay. You know. I do this at the end of mass, like all the time. Talk about all, the weather. Yeah, yeah you do. Like, I'm always like, it's a beautiful day. Make sure you get outside. And every like, time you do it, and I've heard you do it a million times, it always encourages me. It makes me feel good inside. I'm like, I will go outside today, Father Peter. I'm like, it's a celebration. Make sure you're drinking your Mai Tais. Yep, you know? or, or eating your chocolate or whatever you... Yeah, you, you always know, give us uh, fervorinos of, of like natu- vices to indulge in of for na- holy days. <laughs> natural goods. Yes, natural, not vices to indulge in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I call them natural goods. <laughs> That's a better way to say that. We are in the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. <laughs> There's a lot going on, you guys. Yeah, classes just started. Um, we have, I don't know when you'll all be listening to this, but we have a big event coming tonight. So we're recording this on Thursday. We release the podcast on Thursday. But at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, depending on where you are, um, we're holding a big uh a conversation, a dialogue with uh, Dr. Robert George, who is, I think, one of the most important Catholic intellectuals in the country. He's fantastic. Yep, absolutely. And Cornell West, who is also an incredibly important intellectual. Um, and they're going to be talking about, is civil discourse dead? Um, which is really cool. It's actually shaping up. We're partnering with CU, and it's shaping up to be the largest online event that the university has ever done, which tells me a lot about what people are actually longing for right now, which is really kind of beautiful. So if you're around... Um, go to thomascenter.org slash civil discourse and you can register and sign up. It's all free, but we'd love to have you join us. Yeah. And uh, I mean, today uh, you're listening the day after the inauguration. So, right. So there, there's a lot of things that we actually have to ask a question about because, because if you've been paying attention to, mm-hmm anything outside of 100-foot surfing waves, <laughs> then, then you've learned that that people have uh, are really actually asking this question in their hearts, even if they're not asking it out loud. Which I'm really happy that they are, because I think a lot of what we're kind of being fed is that no one is asking that question. Nobody cares about that question anymore. Right. So that actually leads us into our first reading, which is the reading from... As I civil, guess it actually does. Is civil discourse actually possible? That's actually... And uh, Jonah doesn't like the answer. <laughs> Jonah is such a punk, and I like him for he it. Is. Do you? Well, no, but well, no, yeah, no. I he is. I appreciate because he talks to me. Appreciate him. No, that's actually a really beautiful point. So our first so reading is Jonah chapter three verses one to five, jumping to ten. I I opened these readings. I think it was early yesterday morning, and I just so I have the abbreviations in mind. And I'm like J O N. Who the heck is John? John. John? Jonah. It took me a minute, though. Did it take you a minute to be like, who is that reading from? Um, I did not use the same sources that you used. Whatever. Mine spelled it out. They, they were not conserving three letters. <laughs> two letters. Just two, actually, <laughs> like, in this case. <laughs> uh, responsorial Psalm. J-O-N apostrophe H. <laughs> Jonah. The Responsorial Psalm is coming from Psalm 25, verses 4 to 5, 6 through 7, and 8 through 9. Uh, also, you could say four to nine. <laughs> but, uh, and the response itself is 4A. Um, isn't 4A a, a collection of... Um, oh, no, 4H. Sort of a detour. Oh, 4H. 4H. Yeah. A 4A into something. Oh, a 4A. I have to tell you, we've I've gotten a lot of um, response about uh, the lat at the extraordinary form in English. Oh my gosh, so many, comments. so many, so many comments. You guys, I'm, I'm like, you guys. Who are, knew that that's where you would all come out of the woodwork? Yeah, like, like, well, actually, I just love you guys, and I, I so appreciate it. Bunch of that. liturgical nerds out there, which the, I love. Yeah, the Anglian, uh, the Anglican, Anglican apostrophe, uh, I mean, the ordinary it. <laughs> yep. 
So our next reading, I'm just going to jump because um, we were just, I was going saying too many things. That's yeah, good. They're all good things. Okay. All right, second um, reading. Is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 29 to 31. Wrenched out of its context. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there in a second. Like literally, <laughs> you needed like four more verses and we would understand what you're saying. But, Oftentimes, I'm confused by why the second reading is chosen for a particular Sunday. I am rarely frustrated by it. <laughs> and I have the openness to God doing something and working oh. through the scriptures, but this does require some unpacking. And I'm, I, I will admit to you, I am nervous for the lines that are being read to be read with no explanation out of many, many pulpits this Sunday. So we'll do our best to um, contextualize. You know what? I actually think I have an understanding of why they were doing it. It was real weird, but we'll get there. I want to hear. Don't for, I won't let you forget to it's mention the, that point. Okay. 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 Uh, our gospel. gospel. No, the, it's me. A gospel is coming from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. The call of the disciples. To call uh, the disciples, which um, at first I didn't, uh, I didn't see exactly the um, the connection, particularly between the first reading and the gospel at first. And the more it, it, this is, so I have this problem where oftentimes I'll prepare for the podcast and I'll just read and read and read and I'll go to different commentaries, you know. And I love that; I actually enjoy that. But um, I, more often than I, Don't I'm call embarrassed. Me but I'm embarrassed to say how rarely I actually just sit and take it to prayer and reflect on them rather than turning to my commentaries and saying, you know, what is the Greek saying? What does this say? Um, and it was actually in a little bit of reflection that I began to see like, oh, that's the connection to the gospel in the first reading. And I'm actually, it's nothing huge or, you know, mind blowing, but it was kind of beautiful for me. So um, the I first just, reading. I just kept on looking at the Greek word um, in the gospel for polis, and I just kept on thinking about... Of our governor? Governor polis. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the... Oh, for city? For city. In the gospel? I mean, in Nineveh. Oh, in the first in, reading. Yeah, sorry. Oh, so you're reading the Septuagint. I, uh, the, uh, yeah. Septuaginta. So have you heard of the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven? Do you know um, this one? Do you know that it is in every um, breviary? Is it really? Yeah, they put the Hound of Heaven in the brevi in the poetry section in You're the back. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love the Hound of Heaven. Me it too. Is, so I printed out one. And it's which Matt very, Bodker would be mad at me that I didn't just pull it up on my computer. I it's very long. It. It's very long. It's 182 lines by a poet named Francis Thompson from the late 1800s. And um, it is, I've always, and I think it's because of Tim Gray's formation, I've always associated the Hound of Heaven with uh, the book of Jonah. And whenever I used to teach the book of Jonah back in my biblical school days, um, the Hound of Heaven was always how I began the class. Uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just I'll give you a couple of lines just to get you the taste. Um, so it begins by saying, I fled him down the heights, capital H him, God. I fled him down the heights, down the days, or down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. I visited hopes I sped, up visited, visited hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from being strong, from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee, who betrayest me? Which is the first kind of major section. And I, I love that poem. I think it's very beautiful because it is, you, we talked about Jonah being a punk. And the book of Jonah is a book about Jonah being a punk in a lot of ways, but it's avoidant. Not... I mean, like when I say yeah. a punk, he he just he's 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 doing what we're seeing in this poem. Well, exactly right. That's why this applies. But he's not he's not just avoidant. He is a punk. There's there's so if you take the book of Jonah as a whole, it's not a terribly huge book, but I think you can cleanly divide the book of Jonah into two halves, right? Or sometimes they're called two cycles. So the first cycle of the Jonah book is is the story that a lot of us are familiar with, right? So Jonah is a prophet. Um, you don't you don't watch Veggie Tales. There's a Veggie Tales Jonah movie, and there's a song Jonah was a prophet. Ooh ooh, but I never really got it. So I can't say the words Jonah is a prophet without the words. <laughs> and I imagine there's more of you out there that are singing it in their that. car, yeah. and, or just in your. And head. we encourage you pause the podcast right now, <laughs> and go to your it. Veggie Tales album, just get it and out. just and just sing it, and then come back to us. Yeah yeah. Okay, okay, welcome back. back. Yeah. So Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh, my. <laughs> so it really is impossible to. Okay, Jonah was a prophet. 
and he was sent by God. He's one of the only, I think he is the only prophet who is sent not to any people of Israel, but to a pagan non-Israelite people and nation. I think he's the only one. Hmm. All of the other prophets are either to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom um, or various people therein. Many of them give warnings and give you know particular uh, statements to other nations as well. But there's no other prophet, I don't think, that is sent solely to a people that is not Israelite. And so Jonah's is. So he's called by God to go to this place called Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was the, the superpower of the time. They were the ones who wiped out the northern kingdom eventually. And they were, they were, they were a bad kingdom. I think that's safe to say. Um, there was, and I don't know where the time frame kind of matches, but we do, we actually have evidence. We know that there was, a, I forget which king it was. There was a, a Ninevite king or an Assyrian king who actually built a palace at one point out of the bones of his enemies. So when you hear like Jonah doesn't want to go talk to these people, it's not like, oh, he's stubborn. He doesn't like to talk to his enemies and he's not being loving and forgiving. Yeah, you could say that. But he also doesn't want to go into the palace of the guy who built his house out of the bones of his enemies and say that he's in the wrong. Right? The bone throne. The bone throne. <laughs> this is terrifying. So Jonah's like, no. So the first half of the book is Jonah fleeing from God, running away, which is why this poem is so applicable, right? Mm. He runs away. God pursues him, but with, you know, this unperturbed haste. I love that line, right? Yeah. He pursues him. Jonah tries it to run It also reminds away. me of like a, of like a, um, every horror movie I've ever seen. <laughs> That's a you know, where they're, dark they're, twist. They're, I know that, it, but you know how Sometimes it's like. Sometimes the it's spiritual like, life can be horrific. Well, yeah, it's like that, that it's that chase where it's like you're not going to get away. I, I mean, the poem's better, <laughs> yes. but I, I, was, that was a free association. No, I'm that's very good. sorry. No, I think it's good. Um, so he runs away because he thinks, he seems convinced he can escape God and can escape God's plan, right. which is funny. So he goes to this place called uh, Joppa, and in Joppa, he boards a ship. There's a ship. I mean, you know the story, but there's a shipwreck. Um, he is eaten cast by a out. whale. He's eaten out of the whale because everybody thinks, no, there's a storm at sea, and all the people on the boat are like, hey, it's but probably he, your fault. And he's he's like, hey, well, they're trying to figure it out, and he's like, hey, actually, no. it's my fault. And they're like, well, yeah. throw him over we'll the throw edge. Throw him over the board. So he's a, you know, a giant whale swallows him. Eventually vomits him back out onto dry land and Jonah's on his way. So the first half of the book is Jonah running away from God's call because he doesn't want to go. And again, you could write it off as saying he doesn't want to love his enemies. Or you could say he doesn't want to go and speak truth to the most terrifying people who have ever existed as far as he's concerned, which is a terrifying thing. Right. So that's part one. Part two is Jonah actually fulfilling his mission. And right. that's where we pick it up in chapter three, where he actually does go. Begrudgingly, he goes to Nineveh, he sets out, and he proclaims the message. And what he does not expect, so actually, let's let's just read it. Um, not the whole thing, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, set out for the great city of Nineveh and announce to it the message that I will tell you. Now, God has already told him that before. He said no, got swallowed by a fish, got vomited out, and now God, because God is God, repeats it for us. Right. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm going to say it again. Right. And, and, this, and the city council went to actually eliminate oh, the carcass of the whale by a bunch of dynamite and they filmed it, but then it really didn't happen the way they thought it should happen. Uh, is that a movie that you're it's, quoting? It's a, it's That's just look too... it up on YouTube. Look what up? The, there's a news the story about council? like the seventies and they put they, they like blew oh, the I whale. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I do know what you're talking about. I, that's what I see when I think about like he got like, well, how the whale was with... fine, presumably. Well, I mean, maybe. Maybe, but I think about that Eventually as Jonah's whale, but that's oh, kind of messed up. <laughs> uh, that's stop your blubbering. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Dad. Maybe that's the title of the podcast. Stop your, stop blub your blubbering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jonah made, and I, I, I want to just say a word about something that you said years ago. Maybe it was three years ago when we did this last. Okay, and it's always stuck with me because it was such a great insight, and you probably don't even remember it. So it goes on, it says, So Jonah made ready, he went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's bidding. Now Nineveh was an enormously large city. So um, enormously large. I mean, we're talking about the ancient world. We're talking about pre-Bronze Age, right? So an enormously large city wouldn't have been much bigger than Boulder. Right. Which, again, in the time, this is enormous. And it says it took him three days to go through it. And 
critics of the Bible or sometimes secular scholars will say, well, this is just total hyperbole or maybe it's just made up because there's no way it takes him three days. It, it wouldn't take me three days to walk from end to end of Boulder. Right. But you pointed out this great insight. It's not just saying he walked end through end. Like, what is he actually doing? What has the Lord asked him to do to go and give this message to Nineveh? What is he spending three days doing? He's going down every street. He's going up every alley, every yep. corridor, every neighborhood. That would take you many days to do that in Boulder, right? Absolutely. Not just go end to end yelling out, but actually be attentive to go to the places, you know, people's driveways, their streets. And it was it was such an interesting insight to me because I'd never really known what to do with that. Right. Because you're like saying he only got one day in, you know, like, you know, he went to Murphy's pub. He went to, you know, Lucky's <laughs> yeah. market, you know, yeah, he went he to Tiaco and he went to, you know, the med and then, you know, like the med is closing down. I know that's a different, man. that's a that's different, a, that's a, but, okay. but, that, but that's, the, that's the, <laughs> that's the whole thing is like, you're like, Oh, that would actually make sense to yes. actually, cause this this the number of people that were in the cities is actually equivalent. And there's a spiritual import to that point, not just because it's interesting literarily and, and, you know, geographically that that makes sense. That's interesting on its own right. But it's particularly interesting to me because because of what happens next. Um, long story short, spoiler alert, they all convert. So people listen to what Jonah had to say and they say, yeah, you're right. We will turn away from our evil and from right. our pagan ways back to the one true God or to the one true God for the first time. Which Jonah responds with utter frustration because the last thing apparently that he wanted, even begrudgingly doing the thing that God asked him to do, the last thing he apparently wanted was for it to work. And what he wanted was for these people to be shown their evil, to be told how evil they were, and to understand when they finally got justice served, when they finally got the punishment that was due to them. But rather they repent. And God says, well, I will show mercy to them, right. which Jonah is utterly, utterly frustrated by, which is why I think he's a punk. He's not just uh, somebody who tries to run away. Right. He's also a punk. Right. And like, we're all like, punks. Right. Because he, what he really wants is, is something opposite than what God wants. Exactly. He's, his will is actually set, about the, set against what the Lord is asking. It's not set against. I think it's halfway because the Lord has two... Well, the Lord has many features. But in this story, we see demonstrated two of the more important features of God, which is God's justice right. and also God's mercy. Right. But God is just. There is justice. There is punishment for sin. There are consequences for the things that we do. Right. But God's justice needs to always be counteracted by his mercy. Yes. And so Jonah got halfway there because he understands what true justice is. There's real evil. There's real sin. There should be real consequence. But God's mercy comes and overcomes it. Now, the reason I think the, the going through the neighborhood thing was important and your insight was, was powerful to me is that because of Jonah's response to all this, you almost would, would get the impression that he's, he's kind of half-heartedly doing it, right? right? I'll go through the city. I'll say the thing. But, you know, we'll, we'll just see what happens. I'll, I'll begrudgingly do the job. But he doesn't begrudgingly do the job. He diligently, attentively, and thoroughly does the job. Every street, every corridor, every alley, right? The three days tells us that he was diligent in what he was doing. He was attentive to it. It wasn't like, all right, I'll say the thing and I'll watch him get struck by lightning and then I'm out of here. You know what I mean? Which he only is, does one of the three though. God says, or does he only does one day? I, th I get the impression, you know, it says it took three days to go through it. So I don't get the impression that he um, only did one. Or is there some, maybe there's something I'm missing. I mean, I get the impression he did all, that that's, it's saying it took him three days to do it. It, it simply states the fact that the city was big enough that it would take three days. Well, jo Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he cried yet 40 days and the people of Nineveh believed God. So, so he didn't need to. Maybe it was so large that he actually did an efficient, <laughs> he actually did it efficiently. He went to town squares. He went to the pubs. He went to, went to the med. Went to the med, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe yeah. okay. it, it actually yeah, speaks right. to his efficiency. Like, I, I don't know. And I think that, no, you're I think right. that I, we, you, we you, can ask this question. Yeah, you caught me. You're, you're right, though. But, but okay, so put aside what I just said about okay. his thoroughness. Yeah. What it tells us is, okay, so what is thorough? If, even if Jonah's not thorough, he didn't need to be because of the power of the word of repentance. Right. Was that potent, even from an um, unworthy and unwilling servant? Right. The word That's is the, that 
potent out of the mouth of God through Jonah that it actually affects what it says in a really profound way. It's your fish tank. That's oh no! I think it's somebody doing <laughs> oh. lawn work outside oh. of the outside. We're we're uh, we're actually okay. in my office today and not in the uh, basement studio. Which ironically, your basement or your office is in a basement. <laughs> this I'm a basement dweller. <laughs> You're a basement if you've, dweller, ever, if yeah. you've ever wondered why I'm pale, it's because <laughs> I live in a basement and I work in a basement. You should take a three day journey through town. I will proclaim repentance and fasting. But you watch out because they actually might repent, dude. But again, that's the. Um, yeah, so this is the story. And I, that, that's, um, I don't know exactly what so what to give it outside right. of the other readings. Yeah, let's, then let's keep going. Um, uh, you well, know, cause... I, can I say one thing? <laughs> no, and it's not a so what. It's just an observation. Right. Um, on, a, on, a, on a storytelling, on a narrative, on sort of a literary um, level, the book of Jonah is profoundly frustrating. And it's not just profoundly frustrating because Jonah's a punk. He is a punk. And he reflects all of our punkishness, which I think you're right to point that out. But it's frustrating on a narrative level because when we read stories, we want a happy ending, right? And Jonah does not have a happy ending. Well, this is the thing is that there's there's always two story arcs. Either through the decisions that the character makes, he becomes better or... He becomes worse, or he or she. Yeah, right, right, right. So, 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 really, there's always two story arcs. I mean, that, yes. that, that's why when you look at the Godfather, like, is a perfect example of a story mm, that people really yeah, love, right, where yeah. where the the main character becomes worse. Oh, you're right. And yeah, if you yeah, mistake yeah, yeah. it for becoming better, or that that that's actually a positive thing, that, that's actually one of the it's things. A distortion that, of the narrative. Right. We we actually don't we don't actually have many categories for that particular one with the that the new equilibrium is that the the protagonist is worse. Well, the, the, where it differs from the Godfather is that the antagonist in the book of Jonah becomes better. Becomes, and, and then... In the Godfather, we're kind of left with everybody's crapulent. <laughs> but, but in Jonah, there's a bit of a difference. Right, so then that leads us into the So song. there is a happy ending on one level, but we're... we're le- it, but I, I just, again, on the structure of liturgy, we're, we're not liturgy, of, of the story, we're literally left with Jonah sitting by a tree that dies and stops giving him shade, waiting for the lightning strike to come. The end. And you're like, oh, shoot, man, you never get it. And yeah, the people of Nineveh, and, and it just sort of leaves you there. Right. Which, um, more than being just, it's kind of a depressing ending, it's an ending that leaves you longing for something more. And that, I think, is by design in the work of the Holy Spirit, because there actually is something more. There's an answer to the question posed by Jonah of like, well, is that it? That's the end, and the answer is no. That's not the end. But we got to wait a while, right? Which which actually inspires within us a desire for God to guide us and to deliver us, be from 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 the wrong way. Because yeah. we say yeah. like, oh goodness, I look yeah. at this and there's all these passions and these things, and wow, they repented and and like so. God, right. I need I need you to help me. Yeah, which is yes. actually Psalm 25, which right. is at yes. the core is this prayer for guidance and deliverance. Yeah, Psalm 25 is interesting. It's it's um, understood to be a Psalm of David. Um, so I, on at first glance, you know, you look at the response itself. Teach me your ways, O Lord, which makes sense. And you can look and be like, wow, Jonah doesn't really understand your ways. Jonah needs to be taught your ways. And so the, the proper response. And again, we don't get the whole story here, but the proper response to the story of Jonah should be, wow, I don't want to fall into that, so teach me your ways and help me actually understand them. It's a great response to that. Um, but as a, as a Psalm of David, what this is understood to be, um, it's believed to have been penned as a, a, a pleading of David when he's being both discredited and attacked by his enemies, that he could conquer them, that he could have victory over his enemies. That's what the psalm does. And in his doing that, he's asking for the Lord to make things clear, for him to be taught and to be guided. So we get all the nice the nice parts. But surrounding this, it's let my enemies be put to shame. Don't let me be embarrassed. Let them be shamed. Let me conquer over them. And so I was reflecting on the first little stanza of Psalm 25, which we don't get. We pick it up in, in verse 4. But the way it begins, he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Which is fair. That's a valid thing for someone who's being attacked by their enemies to pray. But I was thinking about, and this is where my reflection kind of came in. I was thinking about what does that mean in light of Jonah and in light of the Ninevites? What does it mean for our enemies to triumph over us? Well, in terms of the book of Jonah... 
for the enemy. So Jonah considered the Ninevites his enemies. And for good reason. They were pretty horrifying. But what would it mean for his enemies to triumph over them? A triumph of the enemy would be to not receive the word of God and to not repent. That would be Jonah being Absolutely. Beat. Right. The triumph of Jonah, the triumph of David, the triumph of us as followers of Jesus is for our enemies to cease to become our enemies and to actually receive the word of God, repent, and believe in the gospel. Absolutely. Again, we don't have the gospel in the Old Testament yet, but right. I was just, I heard the lines of David in a different ways. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Right. In other words, don't let them persist in their sin. Right. Let them come back. Right, which right now that's like... It's really intimidating in the political environment that we live in right now. Right. 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 Like you, you have all of these forces to the point on where you have like a, like a kind of a grand expression of bringing 30,000 troops into D.C. Yeah. Don't you, you know, like like of of this of this expression of saying right. the, the violence and the pitch of of what everybody's afraid of is that, you know, you, we have rioting all summer long. We've yeah. got rioting now and we're so riotous that, that it's like, okay, let's defeat our enemies. You want to, yeah. you want to play the power game? Let's, well, let's do this. Right. Right. And, right. um, versus right. saying like, no, our actual, our real desire. And, and, and this is what's hard as Catholics is what we look at. And we look at particularly things around death, the culture of death. We don't want Absolutely. it to triumph. And what is Jonah walking into? The culture. Perhaps a literally a palace made of death. Right. And that's and that's what we're 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 asking ourselves this question mm-hmm. right now is like like how do not how do we win in a power game, right. but how do we actually let the culture of death become def- the defeat of the culture of death is a culture of life. Right. Not a superior death. Yeah, absolutely right. Which which should be obvious to anybody listening, but when we really search our own souls, we're like, is that really what I want, though? I want my enemies to be put to shame. Right. I want people to see, like, there is consequence for all the stuff you've done. And in God's judgment, there is mm. consequence. And right. God brings the consequence. But that's, not, but that's but God's. That's God's purview. That's what he does. Right. And I, this is where I, I just associate so much with Jonah. Because he, and Jonah probably, if you'd have asked him beforehand, he would have said all the right things, I assume. I'm going to call for their repentance. You know, we want them to turn back to Yahweh. We want them to, yeah, well, we do all the things. Until all of a sudden, the person who you hate, not to to change the... Well, well, I have an interesting thing in in, in verse 4. Of the psalm? Of the psalm. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. It's almost like, Lord, help me be efficient so I don't have to do three days of this. <laughs> That's actually a really good insight. Like as you started to say it. Yeah, you like like Lord, wow. like where should I go that this will that be I will a f- have the most um, effectiveness efficientness effectiveness yeah right, right like oh that's good like like i do like that because like uh, we we we're i don't want to be obsessed with um efficiency that's not that's not what my my obsession is but but i'm like lord i actually right. would i i do want you to do the things that you want to do yeah um unlike yeah. unlike jonah which is like okay no like i want to see the well like Jonah and unlike Jonah, we all have yeah. both things. We actually want to Absolutely. see the Lord and we want to see people experience conversion and transformation. Yes. But I also want to throw a Molotov cocktail and say, <laughs> just like burn it down, man. Like, 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 because that's the human experience, right? That my, my passions are at war within me, which was, which is why thanks be to God. God makes it very clear. That's not your job, right? The judgment lies on me. Right. And so Lord, show me what your paths are. Yeah. Teach me your ways, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation and I want to wait on you all day long. And in that context that you just said, teaching us his paths is different than saying, what should I do? Right. We know what we should do. We know our job. We know our vocation. We know what the gospel is meant to do. Right. Our question is, how do best I navigate do we do the, it? How do I go through these paths? Because we know the goal. Where do I go? This isn't a mystery that we've been given. We've given we've been given the answer to the mystery you, that's been revealed for all ages. So there was a So which road do I take? Right. There's a book, um, and it's called a Lou Hunter Screenwriting 434. Classic work on um on it's screenwriting. Very specific. Okay. Right. And uh, one of the things is he says he says this statement: what is the essence of drama? Drama is two people going for the same goals, same goal going about it in a different way. 
you've just described every rom-com that I can think of. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. It's two people no, I mean, really, it's going after the same goal, but girl. disagreeing about how, how they should do it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But this is the thing is that even the person that you're with, with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, you know, Selma and Louise, you got, um, you know. Um, the Godfather the, you brought up earlier, the which Godfather. is actually a great example of that. Right. You have all of these characters who like even your friends disagree with you about how you should get there. Right. You know, even your family Mm. disagrees about how you should get there. They all agree that we want evil to be defeated. And but 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 this is the thing is that um, is that the way in which they perceive what the evil is, is is different. But that's why they're going for the same goal. Maybe it's the truth. Maybe it's some or what it means for that evil to be defeated. Even if the evil can be agreed upon. Right. What does defeat actually mean? Right. And that's every Marvel movie we want, you know, like we want to have endless power. And so we're going to make this thing. No, we're going to charge for it. Yeah. You you never see Lex Luthor like becoming friends with Superman and like becoming a partner and fighting for good. Right. You know what I mean? That's never, right. that's never the goal we want to destroy. Or Batman and Robin. They're totally, they're, they're a little bit, you know, like Lone Ranger and Tonto. They're a little bit at each other. Okay. Yeah. There's always tension, even about yeah, the people yeah, yeah. who are trying to do the good thing right. together. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the bad people who are trying to do, like Lex Luthor and um, the, the, what's his secondhand guy? Lex Luthor was literally the only name I could think of <laughs> in the superhero genre. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Dude, I love that. Um, which leads us to First Corinthians. <laughs> Not in this <laughs> Well, no, it does. I, I actually contend that it does. Okay, so 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 I just okay. Want to you tell said you. you had something, right? No, that's like, the gospel. For the oh, sake, no. you know, you oh, had no. a thing that I don't promised I like wouldn't that. forget. Don't talk to me like that. What? I, I promise not to forget it, but I forget what you okay, said. Okay, so so um, oh, what, why is this? Okay, hold on. Oh, First Corinthians okay, thirty. Well, so, okay. So First Corinthians. Um, we gotta say it. We, yeah, we gotta so, we gotta say what we're talking about here. Okay, and then I, then I'll give you a payoff. Okay, so it, what it says, and what again, my deep fear is that is just going to be stated from the pulpit with no explanation. Is I tell you, brothers and sisters, the time is running out. From now on, let those having wives act as not having them. Those weeping is not weeping. Those rejoicing is not rejoicing. Those buying is not owning. Those using the world is not using it fully, for the world in its present form is passing away. To which everyone's going to be like, dismiss. What? What now? No, you know what, it, you know what happens inside as you Glassing listen to over. that? And you just dismiss it. Because yeah. you hear that first line, everybody who has a wife acting right. as they don't have a wife. You're like, that's paradoxical. I don't, I don't make any sense. Like, like I'm done. Yeah. Like, and then you're just going to go like, do I like my wife? You know, like, <laughs> oh, do I like my husband? I, oh, gosh. No, yeah. I mean. Yeah, no, you're like, right. You're right. You're right. Right. Like, because what's happening is that. Um, you you throw that level of contradiction into the mix, and you yes. just and and without context, it's actually really hard to process. It's so hard to process. So even with the context, it's a bit hard to process. To be quite frank, right? So so what happens is that where we end up. So every scene of a movie is about the last line. Okay. Every bit of dialogue is about where do you end up. So you're pro, okay. you're getting stuff to the place, and then you're punctuating it. So I think okay. that the liturgical, um, um, the li- liturgical um, chef knife on this one is about trying to get us to this last line, and it says, um, uh, 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 "Yes, that's those true." Those who here. deal with the world as though they had no dealings with uh-huh. it, for the form of this world is mm-hmm. passing mm-hmm. away. Right. It's saying that. Like at the core, you're throwing a paradoxical statement to us so that we can be attentive to say that this isn't it. This isn't like like nice. this is beautiful and good, but this is actually a preparation for eternal life. This is something that's actually yes. l- pointing towards kind of like Jonah saying, repent. Yes. Like there's something more than the bone throne. Like like <laughs> I like the bone throne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, when uh, when I was a kid, we used to um, we used to have lead figures, and we would like paint them so like that we could play. Guys? Yeah, role yeah. Pl- role playing games. And so at one point, we bought a lead figure that was the Bone Throne, and it was like it was like Game of Thrones style thing where they, you know. And but I, that's why this I is all becoming very Stranger Things. It is very. It's totally Stranger Things. You know, <laughs> the McCracken or the McGorkin or what's the upside down. <laughs> 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 Neither of those. The, Does know. it have a name? Okay, we're getting far afield. Um, so we got that. The form of the world is passing away, saying that... I would argue that another translation possibility is the world in its present form is passing away. Right, because it, that's very eschatological of you. Wait. 
The form. Oh, you just said the form of the world. There is another tra- the for- world in its present form. Yeah. Yeah, the world in this present form. So it's like, okay, w- well, what is a form? So if we take Aristotle in the four causes, mm-hmm. we say that there's a first cause. What is it about? And if you have that, then there's going to be a form that it takes. Right. It's going to be a material that it's made of, and then there's going to be a method in which it's made. Right. So if the form of the world, we're saying that the form is changed because the purpose of the world that you are perceiving is getting shifted. And so the material is going to change and how it's going to be accomplished is going to be different. Because he's talking about marriage and he's saying, you know what? Okay, um, when you when you have to be so concerned about the world, it's it's a little bit harder. And so I want you to, you know, like when you have a wife, you have to be attentive to the things of your wife. If you're unmarried, you just have to worry about the things of God. And so, so in a certain sense, he's saying, now you don't, he's like, this is my opinion though. He says, this is my opinion. And he starts off in that particular way. Yes. So I, so I think that what, what's actually happening is that he's trying to recreate a worldview to say that there is something more. You Corinthians, you are obsessed with your philosophy. You're obsessed with mm-hmm. worldly thinking. You're obsessed with your popularity in relationship to Athens and mm-hmm. your and and how you fit within the world. And there's this schema and how you fit within your your social strata. And do you have the right person? Are you do you have your trophy wife? Do you got these things? And saying no, the form of the world is about a worship of God and that this training. Um, so the, the, what the purpose of it is, is you're going to learn it anew now. And so it's going to have to look different than what you've been living. Yes, that's true. So I, I propose to you, in addition to that, because I agree with everything you said, but I'm at another piece to it, which is, again, this is where my frustration comes in. Okay. There is a, for lack of a better way to say it, there's a macro context, which is the eschatological way that Christians are supposed to live. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole principle, we are supposed to live as though Jesus could come back at any moment. And we need to be ready and see the world in that way. And, and a lot of people also, are preparing for the three days of darkness right now. Mm, it might, it might, and, it, and it may come, and we need to be ready and not be shocked or surprised by that. Right. While simultaneously preparing for it to be another thousand years right. before Jesus comes. So that being said, um, there is a... There is a specificity to, there's another level and a more immediate level, I think, to what Paul is saying. Um, The reason that I get so frustrated of this on its own, all of chapter seven is about the issue of husbands and wives and relationships, the whole thing. And we're getting the very, very end of it. So Paul actually began chapter seven by refuting, refuting, why did I say that hard T? Refutation. Refuting, um, some Corinthians who are suggesting that husbands and wives ought not to, so to speak, enjoy the conjugal relationship. Okay. Live as though they're not married. Right. You could say. Enjoy. The, yeah. Because of, and, and one of the things we know about Corinth is there's a great deal of what's called Stoicism, the Stoic philosophy, which is not a Christian reality, but Stoics, um, which was big in this time in this part of the world, practice the same kind of things. And they would, we might look at some of the Stoic practices and they, they look similar in some ways to some Catholic penitential practices or monastic perhaps, you know, of of denying ourselves certain things, fasting from certain things. But the Stoics did it because they wanted to prove how strong they were. I have so much willpower. I will refrain from these foods or these relationships or this stuff just to show you how strong I am, which is so antithetical to the Christian vision of why we sacrifice things and why we fast from things. It's the opposite. It's to show us how strong God actually is. But Paul made a huge deal of saying husbands and wives don't act or live as though you're not married. Don't live keeping from each other this intimacy that is meant to be yours in marriage. He made a huge stink about it. So then when at the end of the chapter, he's like, so now act like you don't have a wife. You read that and you're like, wait, what on earth are you talking about? You just told them not to do that. Right before this, he gives another set of advice for people who are unmarried. So he gave a set of advice at the beginning of chapter seven for those of you who are in marriages and who want for some ascetic or stoic reason to act like you're not, that's dumb. Stop doing that. Act like you're married. Give each other the, what is due each other in the relationship and intimacy because it's good. Now, he says, for those of you who are not married or who are unmarried, virgin, Parthenon, he says, those of you who are young and maybe haven't gotten married yet, he says literally, and it's no commentary and no interpretation knows exactly what Paul was saying. And everyone is utterly confused. But he says, basically, in light of the present distress 
or the current situation. It's it's translated different ways. This present darkness. It's, uh, okay. Keep going. No, but that that, that is that shows up elsewhere uh, in Second Corinthians. Oh, but, got it. Um, but the word that he actually uses is the word that is used, and nobody knows exactly what the present situation he's talking about is. But that word elsewhere in the New Testament is used for persecution of the church. It's used for famine. It's used for real dark actual things that are going on. And Paul says right before this, in light of the current distress or this present dark situation, I if you're if you're not married, maybe don't get married right now. If you are unmarried and you're a young person, maybe now's the not the best time to plan your wedding. Either because Christians are being slaughtered left and right around you, or there's a massive famine that we know was actually breaking out in this region. And he says this might not be the time. He says also if you're married, don't cut and run. Don't you dare try to use this as an excuse to abandon your family. You stick in the vocation that you've been given. Right. However, which actually goes back even to verse 17, which he's yes. talking about, hey, okay, if you're a slave, uh, uh, then you're 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 a freed man in the Lord even though yes. you might still have the exterior circumstances of slavery. Right. Right. And if you have the opportunity to bail and right. then he he ends up saying, so in whatever state each was called, yeah. there let him remain with God. Right. And he's like if you're un married there's there's you actually have a little bit of freedom you have a little more freedom yeah well he said but he also says he's like look this is just my opinion like you pointed out he's like i'm giving you my opinion so if you feel like this is the right time to get married i will not stop you and if you feel like that is where god is calling you that's good fine right if you're not again the severe persecution of Nero or whatever that's coming might not be the best time to choose out china patterns right he he's saying in a very particular sense there's a reality that you're living and you need to be prepared but here's why it's not a message that's just for a people who lived 2000 years ago far away from our time and circumstances he says yeah there is a real situation which again we don't know exactly what it is but that real situation of suffering of persecution of whatever it is is meant to draw your mind higher to the greater eschatological reality that nothing is what it seems and this persecution that is coming and the way that you're meant to look at your relationships and your spouses and your children and weeping and rejoicing, you are meant to look at every situation in your life differently than the rest of the world does. Right. Because you know that there is an eschatological reality, which is not just the world's ending. That's not what he says. He says the world in its present form, the form of the world is passing away. But we know that there's another half to that statement. It's not just the world's going to end. The world is passing away to make way for the new heavens and the new earth, for the great messianic age that Jesus is in the process of ushering in right now. So everything in your life, regardless of whether you're in persecution or in a famine or whatever else is going on, you need to look at everything in your life different because Christians see reality for what it is. So everything needs to change for you. And that's why, even though there's a particularity to that, that goes back to the other readings, that we're meant to look at our enemies differently than the rest of the world. Jonah is meant to see a greater reality toward what's happening in Nineveh and the hearts of the Ninevites than the rest of the people around us, because we have a higher vision of what God is actually doing in the world. And that applies to all times and all circumstances, which is why I think this reading finds its way in, even though right. it seems like it doesn't quite fit. Right. I think we have found it. It's fitting because it actually leads really well into the gospel. I think it does lead into the because, gospel. Because if you look, here, here are a bunch of people who are, uh, according to the worldly standards, not the right people to choose <laughs> to totally walk it because because we're in, in mark and and actually the, the mark one a, a huge emphasis is the hodos the way so yeah. like oh yeah the so road like, the, the road, path the path. Path. oh i didn't even think about that yeah you've been hanging on to that no, you just think that, of that? that just that's came, real good. That, that just no, I, well, because because I've been I've been th I've been that's kind of mulling good. on Mark recently, and mm. I'm like the Horos, the way of the Lord. Mulling on Mark sounds like a a, a weird devotional book title. Mulling on Mark, I like From it. Seventies. Anyway, okay, so go for it. <laughs> <laughs> mulling spices on the cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Go go with, go. with a coffee cup in the <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how like, you, you like, get my vision. Like it's a it's a handmade cup with a, a rustic piece of bread and, and it's slightly faded mauve in color. Oh, okay. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so the, um, but mulling on Mark, like I, I I'm seeing that, um, that, uh, the, the, this Hodos, the, who are you going to call to walk in your ways? Not like 
a really like okay we have we have the super dramatic version where you have the voice crying out in the wilderness the prophetic one who's wearing right all the gear this. right wearing all the gear he's wearing the what we got the belt and the locusts and the weird fur thing and he got crazy <laughs> hair and he pointed out and and things got inaugurated hmm. and then now he jesus goes to like some bros yeah you're missing something fairly major in there though that's which pretty is, normal no 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 it, no it's there <laughs> But again, how do we tie this back into everything else, especially the reading that came right before it is, and again, we're being dropped into the middle of well, the very beginning of Mark, but the way that the church chooses to start this passage is after John had been arrested. And in a certain sense, everything that comes after needs to be read in light of the first sentence or the first clause. Absolutely. After John had been arrested, everybody knows, everybody who's reading this knows, oh yeah, he got arrested and then he was beheaded. And that was like one of the the, the precursors to everything that was to come. This is a dark moment. In light of that, all of those images and feelings that are supposed to be evoked in you when you read that, we're supposed to read the rest. Oh, it's almost like, it's almost like John in his prophetic message got seized by Nineveh. Yeah, that's interesting. If if we're gonna yeah, do yeah, yeah, a, if yeah, we're gonna yeah, do a yeah. direct comparison, take it all the way, right? Like here he is, and rather than yes. rather than the Roman the yeah. Roman expression yeah, living yeah. out, it, it's immediate. Like this is actually because this is actually how I've learned the Lord works in my life. Okay. Is he gives me something uh, that uh, maybe he solves immediately, and it's mm. it's a little bit hard, but like I can see that he's trustworthy. Right. But then he gives me it in a long form. Oh. Right? Don't you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I do. So, That's so, why I so Nineveh Rome. repented, but and so did Rome. <clears throat> yeah. But how one took a day or three, and it also didn't last. And it didn't last. And then, whereas Rome, we call ourselves Roman Catholics, right? Which is why you see one is a type of the other. Right. One is one is a, a shadow, a pale shadow of what was to come. Mm. Nineveh gave a little bit of hints of what would happen in the Roman Empire with the power of the gospel. Right. But it leaves you wanting more. I want a better ending to that story, which we get. Right. My, my parents always say, if... Uh, if this is the training, what's the mission? Oh, good heavens. Yeah, no, yeah. seriously. Because the, then John shows up beheaded, yeah. and then they go, and here's Jesus, and he starts to select his bros, his, right. his dudes. Um, one thing I want to say about that, and this is really the only thing I have to point out, because uh, I'm still thinking about the Hound of Heaven. Still thinking about the poem that we started with, which and is very, which is very Hound of Heaven because he keeps on traveling after him over the arches of time. Yes, and in a very and you brought it up at the beginning, and we have an arch of time. Oh, an arch of time. See what you did there. But in a very particular way, he's literally going around calling these people to be disciples. Right. Which, for those of us who have been in the church for any period of time, we use we're used to the story. We know the stories of Jesus called the disciples. Cool, whatever. Um, I I want to just point out the strangeness of that uh, scene and how that would actually be seen because it was not uncommon for people to go and follow after and basically apprentice with rabbis. And really, if you were a Jew and you wanted to be schooled in the law and the Torah and be a teacher, you would find a good rabbi and you would be apprenticed by them. You would be discipled by them and you would follow them. But what was, what was the oddity about this is that if you're a good rabbi, people came to you. Mm. People would flock to you and they would be begging and longing to be your apprentice, to be your disciple. Never did you see a rabbi who had to go out looking for his own followers. That was unheard of. That would be shameful. If you're a good rabbi, they come to you. Think of the desperation and the shame and the embarrassment for a rabbi who had to go searching for his own. Dude. And this is where the Hound of Heaven takes on a different form. Man, I, I, it's so funny because I'm looking at the paradigms within the church in a contemporary age, which is so tempting as a priest to just say, well, I'm going to minister to the people come to me because it's right. already hard enough to do that. Right. Whereas in university ministry, you're like, no, I've got to seek out. Yeah. I've like, because they ain't coming. Right. Unless I'm right. going to go out. And, and right. that paradigm of the go ye versus come ye is a real, like, it's real tempting as priests in the in Absolutely. like even even within the context of saying okay we got to go like right. versus it's so interesting and we do this within fellowship and friendship we say well I'll hang out with the people who call me right versus right. saying like no I've started keeping a list on my phone right. of the people that I want to reach out to right. and yeah. I'm like oh okay 
I'm like hanging out. I'm like, I want to, I want to hang out with somebody. And I'm like, Ooh, who, who do I seek out? But is it, but there's also that, that little twinge of embarrassment of like, wow, it'd be better if they called me. Like if I call them, is it going to sound like I just, you know, right. You know, there's a, there's a bit of vulnerability. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Absolutely. And saying, I'm going to, I'm going to call that person. No, I, I, I just think that it's, it's really interesting. I think it's so funny to have a line from the, the Psalm actually be an unlocking piece for the whole thing is is rare do you actually get that right help me to walk in your ways oh lord in your path because and and lord i know that you're like the hound of heaven and you're seeking me like jesus is seeking the apostles and the disciples or like how he's actually like uh like um he's sent a prophet to call me to to something greater and to actually be effective in my life so lord help me to hear the voice that i hear in an effective way and show me your path so that i can walk in it and and don't help me not to be a punk and to just want things to be this way. Like, let me seek the conversion of others and to help to go yeah. out and to make a gift of myself out there and not just try to receive the gift of others. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the beautiful way is like, as that I love the fact it's so it's rare that, um, you know, and that's when you hope that your parish actually sings the Psalm or does it <laughs> right. So that you can say, Oh, what does it yeah. mean to walk in the way of the Lord? And, yeah. and I want to know what that is, especially right now. Cause I think it's a little bit hard to see it's what a little the, unclear, like, you know, do I go into activism? Do I right. go into resignation? Do I like, like, right. what is it? Does it look like I'm a little scared or I'm, I'm too enthusiastic or I'm yeah. like, you know, like, Lord, I, I need your discernment and your wisdom on how to walk right now because I'm right. I'm a little bit confused. And it reminds us of, you know, we are really there with Jonah. The situation of Jonah, like we want to write this off as like, well, that's the olden days and it was super clear who the good guys and the bad guys were. And, you know, we don't have, yeah, that's not how it is now, but that's how it is now. It, right. it hasn't changed. There's still evil. We don't know what to do with it. Which way do I go? I don't want to do that. I want to say that. How do I call it out? Which way do I go? I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I know what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. And to love my enemy and to uh, desire their conversion and their good. And what is the best road to take in order to do that? Right. To really ask that question. I get the goal. Help me get there. Right. And send me companions that I'm not just living in drama with. And maybe let a fish swallow me once in a while. Vomit me out so I can get a break for three days. And have the city council dispose of the (laughs) carcass. City council blow it up. (laughs) God bless you guys. Thanks for being with us. And we hope you have a very, very blessed third Sunday in Ordinary Time. Indeed. We'll see you next week. And join us for the the lecture. Tonight. 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 Dialogue. (laughs) All of it. Okay, bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, That is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.